Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Me Church, where it's all about you, it's all about me and everything we want. We know folks that are like that. Chances are we've been those people before. And certainly the Pharisees were those types of folks as well. It's uh, something like uh, Coach John McKay, the famed coach of the Southern Cal Trojans. He said this to his team after they had been humiliated 51 to nothing by the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. 51 to nothing. McKay uh, came into the locker room and he saw his players. They were not used to getting uh, beat very often. They certainly weren't used to getting beat the way that they had been beaten uh, by Notre Dame. They were depressed. They were beat up. And so he stood up on the bench and he said, men, he said, men, let's keep this in perspective. There are 800 million Chinese that don't even know that this game was played today. And he said, you ought to keep that as something that motivates you. And sometimes perspective is everything. Too many times to count, I have been laid low. I have been humbled and I have been humiliated I remember when I thought that I had it all together, that I had the world by the tail, where, where nobody could tell me what to do, only to find out that I did not have it all together, only to find out that the world had me by the tail, and that I was actually the one that was crashing and burning. And I don't know if you would ever be able to admit that, but that has happened to me on a number of occasions, where I have been humbled, where I have been given a new perspective. There have been times where I have been prideful, spiteful, arrogant, where I think I have been the center of my own universe and everything and everyone around revolves around me. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, God shakes me up. He interrupts my life and he reminds me that I am not in control. Has God ever done that with you? Has God ever shaken your life up and reminded you that you are not in control? Has God ever come into your world when you're beaten, you're broken down, you've been bruised and buried, and God reveals to you a new perspective in life? It reminds me of a, of a play that happened years ago when I was a teenager. You can roll that. Right on can you turn the audio down, we don't need the audio. You probably remember the play. So let me set the scene for you. The, the game was out of control. The Dallas Cowboys were going to beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Remember that play? The score would end up being 52 to 17, and Frank Wright fumbled the ball after being hit by Jim Jeffcoat of the Cowboys. And Leon Lett, there's old Leon, Leon Lett, he picked up the ball and began to run what should have been a record-scoring touchdown. It would have set the record scored uh, for the most points scored ever in a Super Bowl game. 
But instead of Leon Lett crossing over the end zone, Don Beebe ran down the big lumbering Lett who was already celebrating as he ran into the end zone. He ran him down. He knocked down the football just from his grasp as he was about to score his touchdown. I recall the story because they actually interviewed Leon Lett on Super Bowl Sunday just a few weeks ago. He was at the Super Bowl, and he gave an account as he was laughing. He told one of the reporters that he had encountered a a rabid football fan and recognized him for who he was. And he said, hey, Leon, try to hang on to the ball next time. It's a play that haunts him even to this day. A day it's a play that he can't outrun. It's a play that led to his humiliation when it should have led to him being a Super Bowl hero. One of the greatest days of his life. And friends, let me tell you, it is better to remain humble than to suffer humiliation. It's always better to be humble than to suffer humiliation. If let if Leon Let would have just run the ball in, he would have sealed for himself glory. But instead, he put his arrogance on full display and he eventually led himself to being humiliated for years to come. So fill in those blanks this morning. It's better to be humble than to be humiliated. So what does it mean to be humble? Well, according to the theologian Google.com, it means, and Google is a phenomenal theologian, by the way. I typed in definition of humble. So this is what it gives me. It says this, having or showing a modest or low esteem or estimate of one's own importance, of low social, administrative, or political rank, lower in dignity or importance, decisively defeated another team or competitor, typically one that is previously thought to be superior. Can you see why most people don't like being humble? No one wants to go into the humble life. Who wants to live low, to shun dignity and importance and and be defeated in life? Yet Jesus' example of humility is vastly different than what we see the world's example from Google.com. Humility, at least in biblical terms, is different than the world's standards. When I think of humility, I go to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. To be humble, we must have faith in God that he'll lead us in the best way to live and and to avoid temptation. We are to put complete trust in the Lord and not allowing ourselves to be deceived by vanity and lust. We should lean not on our understanding, but lean rather on the understanding, the wisdom, and the divinity of God to show us the righteous paths that we should be walking on a daily basis. And we find those paths through prayer, through meditation, through fasting, through worship, and lots of other faithful practices. It means letting go of our ego or our self and hanging on to God's logos, which is God's word. His way, God's way, is always better than Stuart's way. God's way is always better than your way. His thoughts are better than my thoughts, and his ways and paths are better than my ways and my paths. This morning, before we read Luke chapter 14, 
If you remember, Jesus has been invited to eat with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's been invited to eat by an unnamed Pharisee, which seems like a, a really nice thing of that Pharisee to do. But we discover that this Pharisee's motives were not pure. He invited Jesus to come to the house so that he could be observed. They were looking for a weakness in Jesus. They wanted to expose him as a fraud. They were trying to trap him into breaking the Sabbath law of working, and it failed in dramatic fashion. If you remember, Jesus heals this man in dramatic fashion last week. And today, we're continuing this dinner date. And today, Jesus will instruct those in attendance and us, as a matter of fact, that, that humility is something to be grasped. There is one interesting point. There is always a reckoning for the arrogant. There's always a reckoning for the arrogant. One day, we will all be exposed and humiliated, and may it never be said of us that we are prideful. So let's read this morning from Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. The, uh, the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 7 from the English Standard Version, says this. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited. Again, Jesus is there reclined with his followers, with other guests, with teachers of the law, with the Pharisees. When he noticed that, when, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And, and he who invited you will both come to you and say, give your place to this person and you will begin with shame to take the lower place. But you, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone, this is key, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So there's four testimonies from the table that I want to give you. Four testimonies from Jesus' table. It's divided up into two Roman numerals. And we're going to start this morning with the example of the haughty. Now, we know that the Pharisees were the haughty ones. The teachers of the law, they were the ones that were arrogant. And Jesus is going to point out this arrogant. In letter A, you can fill this blank in, the Pharisees' pride is revealed. The Pharisees' pride is revealed. Again, he's speaking directly to the Pharisees when he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. Jesus is observing the crowd, and he sees that there is jockeying among the Pharisees who is going to have the most important seat at the table. It said that the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with them so that they could observe him. And friends, let me tell you, that is a dangerous move because when you invite Jesus in to be observed, chances are he's going to be the one observing you. And clearly, as Jesus reclined at the table, he didn't like what he was seeing. He was offended. He saw from religious people haughty, arrogant behavior. He saw from worshipers naked favoritism. He saw from those that knew the ancient religious text, pridefulness, arrogance, haughtiness. 
Jesus saw men who were once called to care for the less fortunate, the poor, the widows, only care about their personal standing and popularity among their peers. And Jesus noted that these men were passively squabbling over their placement around the table. Who would recline in the most powerful place and who would receive the greatest amount of respect at the table with Jesus? Their standard of prestige was measured in human eyes and contrived by human hands. I once heard a story of a missionary working on the foreign mission field, and he was working with a previously unreached people group. And they didn't have a translation of the Bible, and so this missionary set out to create a translation of the Bible for this unreached people group in their own language. And as he began to transcribe the New Testament in their language, he hit the word pride. And he understood what pride meant, but he realized there was no word suitable in the native language for pride. And so he began to pray, and he had the idea, you know what, I'm going to not use that word and try to explain it. I'm going to create a word picture, an illustration, if you will, that might help these native people understand what the word pride means. And so instead of giving the word pride, he wrote the, the phrase, ears being apart too far. Ears being apart too far. Meaning that for them, a prideful person is a big-headed person. A prideful person is a, a person whose head has gotten so big, so swelled, they can't bear to get it through the door jams of a church. Can you see the scene? The Pharisees had let their heads get super big. They had swelled egos. They thought too much of themselves and not enough of others. Here they had the Savior of the world. They had the Alpha, the Omega. They had Jesus Christ, the creator of everything, sitting at the table, and they thought they were going to have the most powerful seat. It's almost kind of a funny joke when you realize it. Brothers and sisters, do you struggle with humility? Do you find yourself thinking that you are better than others? Because maybe... Maybe you've got nicer things. Maybe you have a better home and a better neighborhood. Maybe you have a, a sweeter car or more expensive clothing. Maybe instead of, uh, of shopping at Old Navy, no, you shop at Banana Republic. Do we look down on others because of their race, their creed, where they come from, how they smell, their educational level, their backgrounds, their political affiliations. If so, if that's us, if that's me or you, we might have a pride problem. We might be the very people that Jesus is talking to this morning. Friends, let me tell you, there is no room for haughty behavior in the kingdom of God because we're all standing on level ground at the cross. We're all humans in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He deceives himself. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so let's look to letter B. We see the Pharisees' pride revealed, and now we see the Pharisees' pride rebuked. Jesus rebukes their pride in verse 9. And he who is invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lower seat. 
Muhammad Ali, the great boxer, was never known exactly for being a very kind, humble person. Once he was on an airplane, true story, he often had the tagline of, I'm the greatest, right? I'm the greatest. The stewardess, as he got on the airplane, looked at Muhammad Ali and he, she saw that he didn't have his seatbelt fastened and she said to him very politely, Mr. Ali, uh, if you will, if you'll be so kind, I'd like you to fasten your seatbelt before takeoff. And Muhammad Ali looked at her and he said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And the stewardess looked back at Muhammad Ali and she said, Superman don't need an airplane. Jesus sees what's going on, he creates this parable by design. He talks about a hypothetical dinner party where guests are invited. And a person arrives and begins to angle for the best seat in the house. They want to jump to the front of the line. And Jesus states that the master of the house is not pleased with the behavior of this person. And he goes to this, to this person, I assume a man, and he confronts this person who has exhibited such selfish, arrogant behavior and he demands that he be removed and be given a seat of lesser importance. What's interesting about the phrase that we have here, Jesus says, give your place to this person. Give your place to this per, uh, the person. Now, again, if you have a highlight or underline, or you can underline your place because that's a very interesting phrase that Jesus is giving. The, the word that's being used here in the Greek is topos, T-O-P-O-S, topos. It's where we get our English word for top, uh, topic or topical. It, it means a space. It also means an inhabited place like a city or a village, a seat. So we see here what Jesus is saying. But it, it also has an underlining meaning to it. It also means opportunity. It also means an occasion for acting, but it also means power. It means power. So when Jesus says to this man, give of your place, what he's really saying is, I want more than just the chair. I want more than just the seat that you are about to place your bottom in. I want you to give up your power and go to a lesser place. See, these Pharisees, they were looking for more than a good seat to observe Jesus. Ultimately, what these Pharisees were angling for was power, authority, position. When this master came in and rebuked the man sitting in the wrong spot, he rebuffed his play for power and authority. Have you ever heard the statement that absolute power corrupts absolutely? You ever heard that statement? Well, for the Pharisees, absolute power corrupted absolutely. It's very true. They didn't want just a seat at the table. They wanted all the power that comes with it. I remember a conversation that I had with the very first pastor I ever worked with at First Baptist Church of Birmingham. I remember this conversation. We were talking about specifically the role of deacons in the church. We were looking through Scripture, and we were talking about that subject matter 
and he was informing me that deacons were to be men of service and not a board of directors. I'm very thankful, by the way, that in our church, our deacons are not a board of directors. They are men of service. Some of the most humble men that I know serve as deacon. I, I think uh, currently we have uh, one of the, the best uh, chairmen of deacons that we've probably ever had in Philip, a great friend and a great humble person. But he told me this about deacons. He said, Stuart, if you ever have a man politicking to be a deacon, you should run. If you ever have a man politicking to be a deacon, you should run. And I kind of laughed, and I, I, I began to ask why he felt that way and why he told me that. He said, if a man is politicking to be a deacon, he's not interested in serving the body. He's interested in supervising the body. He's not interested in serving the body. He's interested in supervising the body. And that statement has always stuck with me. And these Pharisees, they were not interested in serving the body. They were not interested in serving anything but themselves. And they certainly wanted to supervise others, and they wanted to be in that managerial seat. By the way, there have been so many times in my own life where Jesus has rebuked this nature in me personally. He's probably done it to you as well. Humans... Even pastors struggle with pride and arrogance. We all struggle with wanting to be recognized, wanting to be appreciated, and longing for people to praise us instead of praising God. There are times in everyone's life where we have to examine our motivation, what drives us to do the things we do and be the people that we are. Is there pride in me? Is there pride in you? Is there haughtiness in me? Is there haughtiness in you? Friend, let me tell you, yes. It's everywhere because it's part of being a human. Admitting to it doesn't mean that we have to act on it, though. Just because we may struggle with pridefulness, just because we may struggle with arrogance, doesn't mean that we have to give it a foothold in our life. Remember, we are here to reflect God's glory, not accept God's glory. It's not our glory to be received, but rather to be given back to him. So moving from here, ask God to reveal the areas of pride in our lives so that we can properly give him glory. When's the last time you ever prayed, Lord, reveal in me the areas of pride and arrogance in my own life. Convict me of those areas and help me to leave those things in the past because I want to be like Jesus. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. C.S. Lewis had one of the greatest definitions of humility that I think I've ever heard. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Friend, you shouldn't think less of yourself. Jesus Christ died for you. You're an heir. You've been given an inheritance. God loves you. Oh, friend, you should never kick yourself. You should never beat yourself down. No, no, no. Jesus has lifted you up and exalted you. But rather, instead of thinking of yourself as evil and wicked and bad, no, just think of yourself less. So we come to Roman numeral two, and we have the example of the humble. We transition from the Pharisees to Jesus and we have letter A, the practice of humility. Verse 10, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place 
so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up to a higher spot. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. So Jesus tells us that the master removes this haughty man from a position of esteem, giving it to another. And Jesus gives the advice to take the position of weakness and allow the master to promote you instead of you promoting yourself. It's a difficult thing to achieve. We live in a society filled with self-promotion. I would dare say, I would dare say, that 99% of social media is dedicated to nothing but self-promotion. 99% of social media is dedicated to nothing but self-promotion. Look at me. Look at my life. Look at what I've done. Boy, I tell you, I'm guilty of it. Look at me. Listen to my views. Watch my activity. Look at my food. Can we all agree we don't care what you're eating? So how do we practice humility? I think we practice it in three ways. One, we pray for it. We pray for it. Ask God. If you're looking to be a more humble person, if you're looking to be more like Jesus, it really just starts with asking for it. Because I believe that if you ask for something that's within the will of God, that he's faithful to give it to you. And friend, let me tell you that humility is at the very center of Jesus' character. He wants us to practice humility. I can promise you right now, he wants every single person in this room, including me, to be a more humble, inviting, compassionate, caring person. So pray for it. Second, we should guard our eyes and ears. We should develop a filter around the things that we see and the things that we listen to. Again, my wife came to me, I believe it was just two days ago, actually. And she said, you know what? I, I've determined that I really don't want to be so much on social media anymore. Because I think social media is just a falsity. It's, it's not real. It's, it's not true. It's not the scope of, of a person's life. She said, I think what I'm going to do is, is instead of devoting so much time where I, I get on my phone, I just start scrolling through and seeing these things. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that time and I'm going to spend it listening to God's word. I think I'm going to take that time and spend more time in prayer. I think I'm going to take that time and read God's word more. And friend, I think we have, to, we have to guard ourselves against falling into a trap of, of thinking, well, I need to keep up with this person or I need to be better than this person to get out of the rat race of self-promotion. Guard your eyes and develop a filter. And then lastly, serve. If you want to develop an attitude of humility, find a place to serve. There's nothing better than serving others. Serving others often changes our mind. It changes how we see things. Serving others is a constant reminder of Jesus and his love for other people. And it defeats pride. When you serve others, it defeats pride because it puts other people above yourself. There was a truly humble man who lived many, many years ago. And his name was Booker T. Washington. He was the renowned black educator it was an ex it just a, an outstanding example of this truth shortly after he 
Shortly after he took the presidency of Tuskegee Institute of Alabama, he was walking uh, in an exclusive section of town when he was stopped by a wealthy white woman. And not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, she asked him if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping some wood for her. True story. Because on that day, Booker T. Washington didn't have any pressing business. Professor Washington smiled, he rolled up his sleeves, and he proceeded to do the humble chore that she requested of him. And when he finished... He carried the logs into the house and he stacked them by the fireplace and a little girl actually recognized him and later revealed much to the lady's chagrin who she had just hired to chop wood for her. The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Mr. Washington in his office and she apologized profusely. And this is the quote that's given from Booker T. Washington. His response was, it's perfectly all right, ma'am, he replied. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand and warmly assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endured him and his work to her heart. And not long after that, she showed her admiration by persuading some of the wealthy acquaintances that she had in joining with her to donate thousands upon thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee Institute all because one man allowed himself to be humbled. There was a reward. Proverbs 29, verse 23, one man's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Isn't that a picture of Booker T. Washington? He obtained honor. The last point is this. We see here this wonderful example, the practice of humility, And now we have the principle of humility. In verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, just like Booker T. Washington. Friends, let me tell you, humility does not come naturally for anyone. There are humble people. There are so many humble people in this room right now. However, humility is oftentimes developed over time and experience. It's a, for me, what I've noticed in my development of humility, and there are people who are probably more humble than me, but in my development of humility, it's a series of thinking highly of myself and then getting knocked to the ground and then realizing I don't really have all this figured out. And it's a series like that throughout my life where I've been confronted with people that are wiser, people that are smarter, people that have been around longer, and I'm having to constantly learn. And and I don't think that this changes even as you get older. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're always going to constantly keep growing. I think that there's two types of believers in the world. Two types of Christians. There are Christians who wear aprons. I saw this, by the way, at our Valentine's banquet. I saw lots of Christians wearing aprons. Lots of Christians walking around with aprons on. They're the ones cooking. They're the ones cleaning. They're the ones wiping up the grime of the world. They are the servants. They're the saints. They are the disciple makers. They are the evangelizers. They are the encouragers. They are the ones wearing the aprons. And then... There are the Christians, and there are Christians, but instead of wearing aprons, they're wearing bibs, like a baby, like, like little Annie, 
wearing a, just wearing a bib. I, I had three kids. They all wore bibs. Why? Babies are messy. They're babies. They have to be force-fed. They make messes and expect others to clean up after them. They are the ones who complain over silly things. And there are those that aren't mature in their faith, and they're the ones that demand that the people in the aprons serve them. Friend, this morning, in a parting question, are you wearing the apron or are you wearing the bib? Because it's Jesus' desire for you to take off the bib and put on the apron. An apron symbolizes humility. An apron symbolizes encouragement. An apron symbolizes Jesus. And I believe that that's what Jesus wants for us today. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Friends, this morning I would tell you to go the Jesus way and embrace humility. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, we come before you today thanking you for the opportunity to praise and worship you. Oh, Lord, I confess even in my own life there have been too many times to count where I have been humbled. And being humbled is not fun. Being humbled is not an easy thing. But Lord, I praise you for those times because I feel that in those moments of being humbled, you have made me into a better person, a person who longs to serve you and love you more. Lord Jesus, today I pray for us that we will be a people of humility, that we would be welcoming, kind, compassionate, Lord, thank you for the example that Jesus offers us in the lives of the Pharisees. May we not be like them. But also, Lord, thank you for the example that you set for us in the life of Jesus Christ himself. And may we be more like him. Lord, bless us now as we enter into a time of invitation. And we pray these things today in your name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast. And we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.